I am telling you so that you, Marjorie, just so you will know and that your children will someday know that this is fine beats and cheeses. <laughs> I am Leslie Grace Streeter, who used to consider myself uh, Mary Jo, but honestly, I, I'm really a Julia. Um, I would like to introduce my co-host. Your name is? Oh, I'm Lynn Streeter Childress, and my theme song is Doc Severinsen on the trumpet playing Georgia mm. in my mind. For many seasons. Yes. Um, to, Leslie, would you like, well, I'm sorry, I'm jumping the gun. But uh, we're here with producer Sam, as always. Again. 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 Yes. Okay. We always <laughs> venture into Janet Jackson again here. Um, uh, Leslie, would you like to introduce our guest? I am so, like, freaking excited right now to have one of my our favorite podcasters um on as a guest today she is incredibly not not she's just not funny or insightful she's interesting and i say that not in the way that people go oh that's interesting like they don't know what else to say she's interesting like she has a really great brain she has like she thinks about things in a really deep and sensitive yet very funny and like relatable way um this is sarah marshall ladies and gentlemen of you're wrong about and you are good formerly why are dads um uh, lynn and i have both been guests on on her shows and um she, we can't believe that we got her to actually do this so um we're gonna like just go ahead and do it before she decides she's made a terrible mistake and um I would never run. I would only walk. But no, I'm so happy to be here. And it's so because you guys, you've both been in my podcast house. And Leslie, you gave me an excuse to talk about Debbie Thomas for three oh. hours. Oh, my God. And now I get to come to your podcast house. I'm so happy to be here. It was amazing. Before we get into our um, thing, which is you might guess if you're over 40 and listen to us, you might know it's Designing Women. But I just want to talk a little about what Sarah does. Um we talked, she, we said that we had spoken for three hours about Day Thomas because her show, You're Wrong About, is such, like I said, it's a thinker in a really good way. It's about topics that you thought you knew about and that they have people come and say, well, maybe you didn't. And both of us, I did not realize until I listened to one of her episodes about something completely different, what a huge figure skating fan Sarah was and she goes <laughs> and I said oh I love Debbie Thomas she goes do you want to because we had like eight things to talk about she goes what Debbie Thomas and I was like yes we can and the uh result of that is that Debbie Thomas actually emailed me back um what yes she did she's like I, she's did I tell you that? I'm hearing this for the first time no I heard that you had gotten in touch with somebody Debbie Thomas adjacent but yes Debbie actually Debbie, emailed oh me gosh. back and she, it was interesting. I, I didn't follow up correctly because there was a lot going on and she's kind of skittish about it. Basically her thing is, you know, she's still kind of reluctant to regard her career in terms of race. I still don't think that she is really mm. taken. It, it's hard to be like, you're the first, you're the only, whatever. And she talks about how she didn't think she always got a fair shake. But then again, when you say that, people go, oh, what are you doing? And then that, you know, terrible thing at the Olympics, we'll just leave that there. But, um, you know, she's she had some hard times, you know, and she felt that the hard times that she had fallen on had not been uh, super well documented or truthfully documented. Um, mm -hmm. She is she returned to skating you know i sent you that thing where she is doing like the fancy yes. figures tour and she was actually supposed to compete 
in like way up in Lake Erie someplace. And I looked into going and I just couldn't make it work. But I'm going to get back yeah. in touch with her this year. So if you're le- listening to this, Debbie Thomas, um, I think you're swell and amazing. And sometime this year, I would like to meet you and make something cool happen. Uh, if you're listening to this, Debbie <laughs> Thomas, I and I, there's, I mean, why not, right? Debbie, hello. We love you. Um, and yeah, and I feel like it's, she has every reason to be skittish about this kind of thing. But yeah. uh, Leslie, you are pure of heart, oh. you know? just freaking love her and sorry Bonnelly, if you're listening to this you're badass i don't know why she would be honestly we you ought know, to do it's because debbie forwarded it to her yeah, why not they all sit around we always think when you're younger well they all know each other right and then once in a while you talk to someone they go oh, yeah we do like what anywho um sarah i mentioned that we were talking about designing women can you tell us why you picked this particular show and what is it oh my god what is it so when I was in like seventh grade, I think I had like first seen reruns of Designing Women because my mom was watching them. And I think they were being rerun on Lifetime. And I would like come home after school. I had a school uniform, little pink shorts. And I would like stick my hand in my shorts like I was Al Bundy on Married with Children. And I would like watch an hour of Designing Women reruns. And that was like my time to shine and to just relax after a hard day. There's so and much I happening. Like such a career woman. Yeah. <laughs> I really identified as an 80s lady and it was a show that I just loved so much because I found and still find so much comfort in the sitcom format and this was like a very kind of theatrical style sitcom where as I'm sure we'll talk about with the episodes we're focusing on they often turn it into a forum for public debate yes um but I have felt uh in the years since that uh you know Golden Girls gets a lot of praise for being ahead of its time and doing all this great stuff in terms of being progressive about feminism and AIDS and so many other social issues. And, you know, everybody knows about golden girls. There's a golden girls merch and the golden girls Christmas cards and the golden girls coloring books. But I think that designing women has not had its moment in the sun that it deserves. And I'm so excited, excited to celebrate it. Well, you know, what's funny in the last I don't know, 72 hours, people have been talking about designing women because, really? do you know this? Because of, no. Cat, because of Cat Williams. So do you know, so Cat Williams, the comedian, was on mm-hmm. a podcast with Shannon Sharp a couple of days ago, where basically yeah. for three hours, he just railed on lots of people, including Cedric the Entertainer, yeah. and about Cedric and the Entertainer stealing people, stealing his jokes. And then somebody else has found a joke that Cedric the Entertainer told in 2020 that actually first was told by Anthony Bouvier on yes! Designing Women um, oh in God. like 1989 or 1990. Yeah. And so people on Twitter have been going, while we're talking about Designing Women, we don't talk enough about Designing Women. So it's been kind of funny as we were preparing to do this show, even today, as I was just... D- I don't know why I do a lot of searching on Twitter yeah. for things I'm interested in, but people are talking about designing women right at this moment. It, you know, when this goes up, we're going to have to, because this is the, my journalist timing. Yes, my journalist brain. I'm going to have to link to all the Cat Williams stuff so people find our podcast. But anyway, um, what, Lynn, why do you think it is that people don't always talk about this show? I mean, what's interesting, I was going to say, because it's like very 80s, but so is the Golden Girls. But I think that, I don't know, I guess the Golden Girls has a certain amount of camp adjacent 
stuff to it that people maybe think it's okay to sort of continue and talk about. And there are some things about uh, designing women that we'll talk about that are dated only because a lot of the um, references are references that were happening in the mid mm -hmm. to late 80s. Um, but there's so much of this that I'm like, I was like, check, check today, check 2023. Um, but um, yeah, I don't, I wish that it wasn't. I think it's such a fantastic show. And I think, again, Leslie and I were in high school. The show came out in 86 or 87? 87, I think. 87. And so we were, yeah, 80, right. So we were, um, so 86, we were 15. So we were in the 10th grade going in 11th grade. And um, I'm very aware, what's interesting, watching a lot of these episodes. I remember sitting in our basement, Leslie, mm -hmm. in Baltimore. Me too. Watching Me too this show and we we had a vcr vhs get into it and we would um record and so some of these episodes i could quote yes because we watch them over and over and over again yeah I, to me the one that i quoted most and is uh cindy bird song oh some uh, white some white girl oh yeah some so, white girl so, yes that and that is from the episode where they go to the wilderness camp and they it's so funny because you always think of things in the in the back of the day and go well how do they do things without cell phones because there's a scene where they've gone on this trip yeah okay basically don't you don't know what let's back up what is designing women <laughs> about designing women Wait. uh i oh please go on <laughs> No, I was so it's about a design firm called Sugar Bakers that is run by uh well, there are two designers who were Julia Sugar Baker and Mary Jo Shively, yes. and um also um Julia's sister Suzanne, and also their office manager who Charlene. is Charlene. And um all of them you find out have money put into this and that's something I'd forgotten about. Um, and I can say as a small business person now, um, I really found, um, I don't know, an affinity to these business women who maybe have bigger zeros on the ends of their checks, but they still, especially in the beginning, are like, we need to go talk to the bank and we need to get this money and we need to do and this. And chasing people down for their checks mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Um, it was interesting. These are um, archetypal... 1980s um, women, Southern women in Atlanta, big hair, lots of Scarlett O'Hara references, that kind of thing. This is a time where you could talk about that stuff and kind of be benign about it. Like, because nowadays, if you have a Scarlett O'Hara reference, people are going to go, uh-uh, no, and code it as terrible. Don't don't say that. But this is still when we were like, it was kind of a balance. Although I would say there's a person from South Carolina who's running for president right now who's pretending to do that right now too. What? Yeah. Terrible. 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 When, today when she was like, some people think of it as tradition. I'm like, tradition of what, Nikki? Mm, Nikki. Hi yeah, history of doing what, ma'am? Be specific. Anyway, so um, this we find ourselves in a place where sometimes I look at too about things that are with racial politics and uh, sexual politics and stuff, and go, "What did have actually happened there?" These are four um, in the beginning, four white women um, owning a business. Um, there's a lot of class um, 
distinctions that Charlene is from Missouri and she's got a bunch of family and Suzanne, who is a much married, much crowned former beauty queen is always calling them uh, hillbillies. Um, Mary Jo is pretty middle-class. She's divorced. She has a daughter and a, and a son and a son. That's right. Clinton, Quentin and a terrible uh, ex-husband in the first episode who's played by Scott Bakula, who like is a uh, gynecologist and proposes to Suzanne in the first episode. It makes no sense. Um, oh Scott, my God. But it was primo Scott Bakula um, content. content. Yes. Yes, it was. Um, I don't know. I What I like about it was did, when you guys watched it back, did you find that it was dated at all? Or, and if it was dated, was it in a way that still made it easy to watch? I feel like maybe the, like what that question makes me think of is, and Lynn, I think you described it this way. The episode where Charlene's cousin is being abused and also Suzanne wants to do blackface. Yeah. It's such an incredible temperature change between like, we have this incredible, it's like designing women at its best, in my opinion, where it's doing this domestic violence plot line. And we have Mary Jo quoting statistics about every 15 seconds, a woman in America is beaten up in her own home. Mm. And there's something at which they also do in, you know, the episode where they focus on AIDS. And I love yes. how they bring in like public health messaging into the show. Yes. And then they have, you know, the Suzanne wants to do blackface plot. And it's, it feels like this perfect combination of showing where the writers of that show were that year it is funny and the the bloodworth Tom, harry thomason and susan bloodworth thomason were close friends and advisors of president clinton so it is not surprising that in some of the later episodes and in, hmm. there is a very much a and here is the episode where we do our public service announcement here is the episode it's like the dudley episode from Different strokes, God help us. Then you know I'm talking when Dudley what gets is that episode. Oh God, there his friend Dudley gets um molested by oh, the oh, yeah, by the I've by the dude from um WKRP. <laughs> Which well, dude ever worst ever. crossover ever? Mister <laughs> Carlson, yes. Oh, Mister Carlson is a guy, and he like you know touches Dudley inappropriately. So often there's what i liked about the 80s is that they were really trying they were really trying to say we have these people's um attention so let's say something important and some of it is ham-fisted but they would never approach that kind of stuff in a half an hour sitcom now you know i mean there wouldn't be enough time unless it was on. i like, don't even think we have half hour sitcoms anymore no, like i know there has to be some stuff but but yeah well, it's so funny to look at this time when the sitcom was king sorry absolutely no, no, no to that end absolutely i was gonna say so so later in the episode it's kind of funny later in the series uh cheryl lee ralph is on it she's a showgirl that that anthony marries so but it's oh, currently wow. on a on abbott elementary which is like the sitcom but what's interesting what right. sort of brought that to mind though is that people want abbott elementary to do there are people like you should do a school shooting episode 
Oh my and, God. And Quentin Brunson is like, no, why would we do a school shooting episode where these real children would be traumatized? And then that's what, what the show would be about. Can't we have a place that's about like, I don't know, not school shootings and about kids having some sort of, of innocence that yes. you then aren't going to be able to get back from. And I don't know. I, I feel... I don't know. That's what I thought of when you were talking about things, sitcoms not doing those sorts of things now. But it's very interesting. The first season of uh, Designing Women, the first two seasons, was sort of issue after issue after issue after issue. But it but it did not feel, I mean, maybe a little, not campus, it, it felt direct, but it all right. made sense. It, it, it all, I think, rang sort of like true. And I think I know as a teenager, that was very exciting to watch a show that was talking about these things that my mother was watching that she allowed us to watch. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sarah, you you were younger than us when you were watching this stuff. But I, I made a joke at the beginning about identifying with Mary Jo, but really thinking I was a Julia. You know, the whole like, I'm a I'm a I'm a Carrie, mm -hmm. I'm a whatever. Did you ever identify with any of the characters particularly? Totally. I mean, I feel like these are the great thing about these characters is that they're they're archetypes so i feel like we can feel like an affinity with all of them in a way where Absolutely. we have like the airhead beauty like my favorite um suzanneism is like oh you know what gets me fired up when men try and use women's lib as an excuse not to kill a bug if you're the man in a relationship, you should kill the bug, you know? And that's, and like Suzanne says a lot of very intelligent things actually, but no one gives her credit. Um, but I think I, I think maybe in my heart, I've always known that I'm a Charlene, you know, because she's, I like, she's just like such a starry eyed innocent. And I, yeah. I love, I, when we talked about doing this topic, I was like, I really want to talk about the women in the ministry episode oh. because that's one that's a sitcom episode about like a woman having a challenge of of faith yes which is incredible so talk about that episode that's a very powerful episode yeah so in this episode uh there's some kind of big interfaith conference happening they're going to close with a big choir concert and julia is stressed about singing how great thou art because she has to hit a big high note and simultaneously to this charlene is upset because her reverend has voted against women in the ministry. And so they have him to dinner. And Alice Ghostly has this like scripture off. It's the best. With the reverend. <laughs> it's the best. I love it so It gives me chills. Alice Ghostly plays their friend Bernice, who is played as, she's kind of a crazy person. She truly is a crazy person, but she has such wonderful moments like in the Wilderness episode where she basically decides she likes power and takes over the um, the, <laughs> the camping group. Um, but yeah, so in this episode, it, it was interesting to see things like religion being being talked about in a Southern setting because so much, you know, you would see shows like based in New York or Chicago or LA, people like, ah, religion, whatever. But to talk about mm -hmm. a very traditional place and a very, where everybody went to church and everybody, you know, is part of this, not just going, they're super involved in the church. And to be questioning, like in this episode, Charlene and her, where her feminism and faith collide or Mary Jo 
in the AIDS episode having to become the condom queen, as I call her. She's the one that has to debate the abstinence-only lady at the PTA meeting. Um, that there's such a constant clash between traditional values, which are Christian and Southern and white, and these other values, as as Julia says when she's yelling at the Marjorie girl, and I'll mention that later, when she says that Suzanne won every category except for Miss Congeniality, because that's not something that people, women in our family aspire to anyway. So there, there is such a speaking your mind thing in terms of women who are Southern, but also it's like, so where does that go? Does it then now go to this reality of yourself as a, as feminist or a person who believes that women should be in the pulpit or who believes that you don't want your kids to have sex, but you might as well arm them with something in case they do anyway. And yeah. what's, so, what's so interesting too about that episode with the pastor, Sarah, is that um, today on the Twitter, um, there was, so I follow a lots of different kinds of people on Twitter, but I follow a lot of um, some people who are like deconstructioning, mm -hmm. deconstructing Christians, ex-evangelicals, yes. people who are people who are still considered themselves Christian but are very liberal. But anyway, mm -hmm. someone posted this thing today about a famous uh conservative pastor posting all these things about how women shouldn't preach. And and whoever had done yeah. the video were posting all these women who preached that like well, they're there. But um okay. but again it's so interesting. I saw that thing this morning and then I rewatched that okay. episode today because all of these conversations are still happening like it, mm -hmm. that could not have been any more current i was at a church some years ago um where uh well i didn't go to that church anymore but uh, i know people women preaching if a woman got up and preached there had to be a man who came up next to her or before she spoke to kind of like affirm her okay men it's wow. all right that she's preaching. And then, I mean, and now women preach it, but I know people who've left churches because women started preaching. So, yeah. Yeah. And it feels like, I mean, you know, that the show is is dated in certain ways and like of its time because the references are to like, you know, Maureen Reagan and Max Headroom and stuff. But yes. also that it feels like maybe there's a, a central fact to you know that like i more and more i believe that people just kind of do the same things over and over generation by generation and that mm -hmm. like women are always going to have friendships where they have to kind of use the strength that they find in that relationship to sort of do what they need to to be you know called on to leave their church or or become a queen or whatever and mm -hmm. that that's kind of a timeless aspect of being alive actually absolutely one of the things that i liked about the show and you mentioned it sarah that these are archetypes but also these are women who are nuanced they go beyond the archetypes is that they're mm. it used to be you'd watch a show and go okay we're supposed to like this person so everything this person does is telegraphed is right but there is an episode that was so ridiculous to me and maybe it's because we're maybe we're fatter now than we were in 1989 but the episode where charlene dates the <laughs> larger guy oh my know, gosh Yes. Dude, what is that fat? I kept looking, going, what am I seeing? What is, do you know what I'm saying? He was, 
maybe for a guy on television, certainly for a guy presented as a romantic lead for a regular on a on a television show, but he wasn't like 300 pounds. He was like a big guy and he wasn't like traditionally handsome. He had very pretty eyes. He was also very successful and very funny. But they're like, well, he walks in and Suzanne's like, I want you to meet this guy because he sells furniture. And if you if he likes you, he'll give us all discounts because it's Suzanne. Um, and <laughs> Charlene instantly likes him. But she's like, oh, I, I'm I'm just so embarrassed and self-conscious about being with him. And I like that it, he turned it on the head to say, what if someone said that about you, that you were not educated and that you were a hillbilly yeah. and that it was so because Charlene is the nice person so that she is being checked on her prejudices mm. is so, was so important to me. And so like even the nice person has issues and it's okay. They joke about it in the beginning and they make the jokes, but then he, she's uncomfortable when he makes the jokes about his weight, but she can make yeah. comments about his weight to her friends when he's not around, but he kind of, you know, picked up on it. But I, I thought he was really cute. Um, and that was, I mean, you know, like most of these guys in these shows, you don't see him again, but um, of course, of course, but I, I really but enjoyed we do get our fill of the Mark Twain guy. <gasps> Oh, the Mark Twain guy. <laughs> so, so Hal Holbrook, um, who was married to Dixie Carter, um, plays her um, her paramour, who yeah. they actually get married one episode, but get it annulled, and then oh. just, just stay together. Um, because they're both widowed, and they both feel like they're rushed it, but they really like each other, so they, you know, keep going. Reese Watson... Um, yeah, there. Um, I know we had so um, we talked about a few episodes that we were going to talk about, but now I'm thinking of other episodes. But I need to stop thinking right. about those episodes so we can talk well, about the episodes. <laughs> we were going to talk. Show does just go to to so many places, but I mean, well, and the one you're talking about, Leslie, reminds me of. There's also one. I don't know if you guys watched it for this, where Suzanne has to go to her high school reunion where Whoa. she hears her classmates making jokes about her weight about her behind weight. her back. Mm. And then there's a big lesson at the end because the ladies have been doing like a 48 hour fast or something for Anthony's college project because it's to learn about world hunger. Ugh. And so at the end, there's a little thing where Suzanne is like, I shouldn't be ashamed of my weight, especially when there's world hunger. And it's like, well, I, yeah, but also you just, you just shouldn't be ashamed of your weight. We don't even have to bring world hunger into it, you know? And you feel like you can see the people who are writing the show and shows like it, like, you know, like tr trying to kind of quantify something that maybe that, that our little eighties brains, like we're just having an incredible amount of trouble with. No, absolutely. And it's it's funny watching the seasons go on. When the show starts, um, Delta Burke, who played uh Suzanne, was thin. Yeah. And as the seasons goes seasons go on, she's more full figured um and is gorgeous at every yeah. single weight. And I'm not saying that if people was go gorgeous even in the worst of her lifetime movies, you know? And gorgeous. Cheap ones. <laughs> the beautiful woman. I actually looked, Googled her, Googled image searched her. And I guess the last 
one of the last things I saw her on was like for red carpet when her husband, Gerald McRaney, had won an Emmy for his turn as the doctor mm. on This Is Us. And um, so that was in the last six, seven years, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, and they're still married, which makes me happy. I don't know these people, but it makes me happy that they are still together. Um, Dash Goff, the writer. Um, Dash Goff. Agent uh, Rick Simon. Thank you. Very so, much. Which, which is funny that three of the four um, love interests on the show were actually married to people from the show. Yes. Um, even though Richard Gillian, though, was Mary Jo's boyfriend, but he actually married Gene Smart, who played Charlene, mm -hmm. and they yes. were married until his death. Um, so it was just funny that that show spawned um, successful relationships. That's amazing. I, I mean, I feel like there's something like to me watching it as a kid, there was something so appealing also about because they're guessing Julia's house, right? Like, yeah. right. It's like Graceland. Like she's yeah. just got her private oh stuff upstairs and that they had this beautiful home where like these four women who work together could hang out all day long and like burst in talking about their problems and that the, you know, because like you can't have a sitcom without a space that people share that mm -hmm. they can like enter and exit and i think that that's that's one of the feelings of community that i think we don't have enough of you know, like we're having a designing women moment right now but we have to do it over zoom though right? exactly exactly well and i love too that they establish in the beginning okay these are people who had some money so because they, they talk about money and then once again it's the 80s so you're seeing there are widow there's widowers and stuff widows but also there is divorce um, I'm doing a series for the Baltimore Banner about single parents, and I mentioned Kate and Allie, in a, <laughs> and it's something I just wrote that runs on Monday, and I remember how controversial it was to have <laughs> divorced women who were okay with being divorced, that they had set Why, up house- they might go gay? Maybe, you know, exactly. They might go gay, or should we be saying this is a good thing? Shouldn't this be about them trying to get together with their husbands? Exactly, that, why, that part, too. Why, why are we uh, talking about this and glorifying this? And they were just best friends. Lynn and I have talked about it all the time. It's like, we're either going to, like, at some point, you know, if I had to, I, not that I, if I got rich, I could, like, buy a house that we could all live in together. Um, and Lynn's husband would be like, okay, if you're on that part of the your wing that's fine but no, he did it you know but i kind of feel like that model of Wings. i oh i love have a wing my i my room in my house is on the third floor so i call it like mommy's attic slash mommy's grotto it's not really grotto because it would be on the bottom but anyway it feels like mommy's grotto um and so it feels very separate from the rest of the house which i like it's really great but um Designing Women was doing not just with the epi episodes that were the issue of the week, but like, is it just the structure of the show? And that even though there were love interests, the focus stayed on those four women. Yeah. Um, the focus stayed on yeah. them. And the men, literally, some of them, like, said, you know, Scott Becky, which was the first episode, it's like, you know, we hear about him because he's. He comes back, he comes and, back twice more and they there. they almost get back together at some point. He and Mary Jo, I think, sleep together at one point. I don't. I didn't get. I didn't. We get back to that one. I'm I, gonna look that up. I unless I'm hallucinating this. I think that there's a there's an episode. I'm gonna look it up. But anyway, <laughs> um, but there's the focus is on them. We were talking about the 
AIDS episode. And I want to ask you, there's a scene. Mm-hmm. It, Lynn and I use the word Julie, the term Julia Sugar Baker as a verb, which is to <laughs> kind of pontificate and go off on people. So this is a moment where Tony Goldwyn uh, way before he killed Patrick Swayze and goes through, we'll never forgive him. <laughs> and, and before was, he became the president. The, yes. T- Tony Goldwyn is a very young guy that they know. And they, you figure they all these guys, like good looking people, it's like they all went to prep school together. The kids all know each other, whatever. So he asked them, he's also a designer, and he asked him to plan his funeral because he has AIDS. Um, and I re- was trying to, I remember watching that episode. I didn't know who Tony Goldwyn was. I remember watching that episode when it came on. And remembering that there's a scene where Charlene grabs his hand and he says, I'm mm. surprised. And I remember the same thing because, and then Suzanne with the, the more, you know, moment says, mama's doctor. And she said that you can only get AIDS through sexual contact or sperm or, I mean, or, or blood or, or needles, shared needles. And once again, it's like someone wrote this in, but it was so it, it there, there was that moment, and then the sugar baker moment is when there's this woman that it's established that there's a frenemies frenemies vibe between her and Julia that they're they've always been competitive, their sons have been competitive. She goes through the to the extent of because she wants her business, pretending that her son is failing a class so that this woman feels that her son is superior, so she'll feel comfortable with them, but. They're having this discussion about his funeral and she's in the back looking at swatches or whatever. And so she has this, but they've been talking to to Julia about, I love that thing you do where you get all riled up and you feel fired up. And she says, I don't feel it very fired up at the moment. So of course this happens. And the woman says the most hateful things to this young man that the episode is called killing all the right people. And that's what she says to this young man that she does not know, but that she has heard of. And she says, y'all boys weren't doing what y'all were doing. And someone says, well, lesbians are gay and they don't get it as much as men do. They're like, well, that's not the point. Cause you know, that bigots, you know. I know you don't want logic. Facts. What? But um, when Julia goes off on her, and there were some moments in the later episodes that it was like, okay, they just had to write that speech in, but that felt so real to me. That yeah. felt so um, authentic and not. Well, well, there was a thing, you know, when, when Princess Diana came to, in the 80s, came to the stage and was hugging babies in AIDS wards. And people were flummoxed because nobody was touching them and nobody was hugging these children and the princess did um and which is why she was the best person who ever personed but yeah. um but that was that was that was real people weren't touching people because they were deathly afraid and that's that the that's at that moment where AIDS was a death sentence yeah um then um yeah that was again it was so powerful and it made sense again you knew that you were getting statistics that somebody had researched <laughs> yeah but it still made sense because if you had those statistics that's what you would use to arm yourself yes. against ignorant people 
And look where we, we are now. The answer to the, the question, right? Right. Because today we're like, how, how do you trust a news source? How do you find reliable news? And it's like, well, you trust Julia Sugarbaker. <laughs> Yeah, CDC facts, right? And guys, I always say, caveat, those are under 40, but why are you listening to the show? If you are listening to the show, um, I want to, just like I said, back in the day that no one had cell phones, no one had the internet. So it was either you made stuff up or now people make stuff up for you and put it on the internet and then you believe That's it. That's the so, thing. There's so much laziness, yeah, in, in making stuff up now. I don't even have to make up your own facts. We what are... I love about, you know, and then we have the, you know. Hmm? No, go ahead. Um, oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, there's like a whole debate that we don't have time for of like, is it better to have more options of media, but you end up in a silo that's tailored to your interests based on an algorithm? Or is it better to have three to four channels? But, it, you know, in the three to four channel scenario, like... The AIDS episode of Designing Women was something you could accidentally see while you were surfing around, like during the commercials during Wheel of Fortune. And That's you right. Could accidentally educate yourself. Absolutely. But there were people, though, who would not watch that show because it was, it felt feministy or it felt, you know, there were some shows that, like, you weren't going to get that information. And the, the silo part is that there are literally people now in this terrible age of misinformation who if it's not on fox or newsmax or whatever they not only do they not know they don't believe it so there are people who believe that chicago litter and san francisco don't exist and portland don't exist and they've been burned to the ground and they'll say when they burn portland to the ground they'll have people like in portland sunning themselves in their roofs right. and walking through the park it's going, a fairly economical way to to figure out whether that's true you know you just get a get a greyhound ticket I mean, if Portland doesn't exist, then why am I always cleaning, you know? Right. <laughs> it, it's so, there was actually an episode of Designing Women, which I've been watching for the past couple of days, um, where they talk about um, turning on the news and they think, well, what's happening on the news? And they go, well, I don't know. That's why it's news. We have to sit down and watch it. Um, mm -hmm. But that the news was such this singular thing you know I grandparents um I studied grandparents um their um routine was you get up you watch the morning news you watch the game shows you watch the new news you watch the soaps then maybe a talk show or so and then maybe maybe the five if they were feeling you know like they really want to know stuff but always the six o'clock news um uh, and then, and then wheel of fortune, fortune. Yes. right and jeopardy um but but that's what everybody did. And that's what you do. And my husband listens to the news as he's getting dressed in the morning. He streams the local uh, NBC news, but I don't know. It's just, um, it's such a different time. And that's why it was so weird is that, like I said, we were, in, we were teenagers when this show came out, but some of it, it, it's so weird how it feels old, but new and everything all at the same time. And I think I had to keep reminding myself that this was so long ago, mm -hmm. because even though Gene Smart is is everywhere now, right? You show Emmys and all the things, I still see her as Charlene. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I have to remind myself that she is not. Oh, that's one of the things I was going to say. 
So these characters are like our parent, lovely, nice parents' ages. Um, yes. My, our, our mom is currently 76, but so 40 years ago was in her 30s. And that's the sort of the age that these women were in. And they talk about um, liking older music or things. And I have to keep reminding myself that these women would be that age because they seem so current, mm -hmm. but yet so... It's not. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Current is very uh, it's cyclical. I have goddaughters who are 20 and 25 and they are very funny because they'll say things. And when you know that hopefully they're not listening to this. Well, it's nothing bad. It's true. They'll go, well, this is out. And you'll go, yeah, that thing's 30 years old. No, it's not. But it is, though. What? You know, they'll go, oh, yeah. and I'm, I'm wearing these types of pants. We're like. Let's fight. And I have been friends with their mom since I was 13. So 14. So I'm like, yeah, so let's show pictures of us in that. Well, whatever, you know, because fake news, it's fake news. Um, I wanted to say before we close in the very first my intro, I talked about what is one of the most famous episodes of Designing Women. And Lynn had said that she was surprised. She didn't remember that it was so early in the season mm. in the in the show, but it was episode two. And it, to me, established, we think of Suzanne Sugarbaker as this very shallow person, but, and when she is, but there is an, episode two telegraphs her humanity in a way that you have to go back and go, they do remember that Suzanne is a person, because I think it became easier to pick on her, but she, there's a bunch of stuff going on. She's about to turn 30, although she says 29, um, and she is, she was Miss Georgia World 1977, 1978, something like that. And is going to, she's coaching Mary Jo's daughter to be in this beauty pageant that Mary Jo is really at first not interested in her being as Mary Jo is kind of modern and whatever, anti-feminist. But then she gets into it. She becomes one of the mean moms talking about the girl's hips and her te their teeth or whatever. So they're watching us at the same time. Suzanne is dealing not only with her age, but with her obsolescence. And so Marjorie, who I referred to, was the the current Miss Georgia world. Ugh, Mar Marjorie Lee Winnick, to be to to be exact. Who first of all, Marjorie's dress was fire. That white dress off the shoulder with the fringe. With I would wear that now. I would wear that now. But anyway. Marjorie is a terrible person, and she, although I think a lot of us are, but she and she's no more terrible than the other women were who had reasons to make fun of other women. But uh, she talks to Suzanne, and she's Suzanne leaves the room, and she's making fun of her with some other people. Do you know who that is? Oh, she's the one with the big hair. Oh, she twirled a baton. She says to Suzanne, oh, "I remember you because no one twirls batons anymore." And she's comfortable saying this to her face and making her feel bad about herself, and basically saying, "Yes, girl, you are obsolete. We have moved on." So she's Marjorie's continuing to be a jerk. She said before this, Julia, who's always made fun of Suzanne, she, she loves Suzanne. It's like a thing. It's like I can make fun of you, but if anyone else, make, else makes fun of you, there's hell to pay. So she loves Suzanne. They are not the same person. She finds Suzanne frivolous in a lot of ways. But Suzanne, in a moment of vulnerability, says, I don't know how to do anything else. All I ever wanted to do, just beautiful monologue. I would see crowns and go, I want that crown on my head. <laughs> and I don't know how to do anything else. And she goes, that's not true. So she knows that her sister has been kicked. So then she leaves and this terrible Marjorie girl with the fabulous dress is saying terrible things about her. Oh, whatever. And blah, blah, blah. So 
she basically bars the door. <laughs> she walks in front of the door. It's the, in the dressing room. And she says, oh, I'm Suzanne Sugar Baker. And she's the master enunciator, Sugar Baker's sister. And she goes, oh, I didn't know anybody was here. She thinks she can get out. So she does this beautiful speech. Can, may I read it for you? Oh, my God. Please read it. Okay. Uh, let's see if my internet. Okay. Here's the thing. She says, I gather from your comments, there are a couple of things you don't know, Marjorie. <laughs> For example, you probably don't know that Suzanne was the only contestant in Georgia pageant history to sweep every category except congeniality, and that is not something the women in my family aspire to anyway. Or that when she walked down the runway in her swimsuit, five contestants quit on the spot. Or that when she emerged from the isolation booth to answer the question, what would you do to prevent war? She spoke so eloquently of patriotism, battlefields, and diamond tiaras. Grown men wept. And you probably don't know, Marjorie, that Suzanne was not just any Miss Georgia. She was the Miss Georgia. She didn't just twirl a baton. That baton was on fire. And when she threw that baton into the air, it flew high faster than any baton has ever flown before, hitting a transformer and showering the darkened arena with sparks. And when it flipped down, Marjorie, my sister caught and 12,000 people jumped to their feet for 16 and one half minutes of uninterrupted thunderous ovation as flames illuminated her tear-stained face. And that, Marjorie, just so you will know, and your children will someday know, is the nights the lights went out in Georgia? Thank you very much, Leslie Streeter. That is my talent. And and what I and what I love is that after that scene, there's a moment of silence, and this is why I love that era where they had actual studio audiences who who were quiet. Uh, Marjorie says, "I'm sorry, I didn't. Know. I didn't know." And she goes, well, now you know. But but that was, there was something so, we don't leave enough room nowadays for quiet moments. We don't have time. Episodes yeah. are like 18 minutes. Right. You know, we don't have time. And there are 10 episodes a, a, a season, eight to 10 episodes a season. And, um, but there was something so, like I said, beautiful about the fact that I'm a theater person and that it was very theatrical, but very. there was a moment, but it had the, it had the audience where they, stopped um so she could and and she said that line it's actors who knew how to pause for you know a pause and know what to yeah. happen next i think that's a beautiful scene and by the way if you for those of you who have not seen that scene i did that in dixie carter's cadence because i have seen lynn was that right oh, yeah. was that it was because i have seen that scene i watched it this afternoon but i have seen that scene probably 30 times in the last 40 years that's probably conservative because there that's were times where I, where I would watch it over and over again so i'm saying wow. that the the night the lights went out and yeah it's too much right but she was too much and part of also what i liked about them is saying that you can be too much and sometimes it have to pull her back you know um there's only so many people you can piss off and so many things that you can pontificate about there was a weird i don't even know why i guess the writers at snl were drunk that day but when RuPaul hosted recently, semi-recently, okay. do you remember that that episode where RuPaul and I forget who else it was were dressed basically as Julie Triggerbaker? I don't know why. Oh, it made no well, sense. It's getting back in the zeitgeist, and it feels pretty good. It really, really does. Um, as we <laughs> start to wrap this up, um, 
uh, producer Sam as the only dude on this phone call, um, on this particular the Anthony, podcast, if you will. The, the, Anthony. the Anthony, and we didn't talk about Anthony really, really quick. We really haven't. Anthony Bouvier, uh, played by uh, the late great Meshach Taylor, um, yeah. was there. Um, started off as their delivery guy, but mm -hmm. I think rose to do other things with trusted guy. And he was the only regular black character, the only black regular male character. Yeah. And he had just gotten out of prison. His, his unfortunate uh, incarceration. His unfortunate incarceration, which is also unjust. Um, <laughs> and he was the foil to all of them. He had, and so he had different relationships with each of them. Um, his stuff, was, with his stuff with Suzanne was hilarious, and his stuff with Bernice was hilarious. Um, black man, oh, oh Lynn, he black had a song. Man. So, we said Bernice was the older character, um, who was a bit dotty, as they would say, and she had the song Black Man, Black Man, Where'd You Go, or something. It's the funniest <laughs> freaking thing, and I'm going to post it. It's so hilarious but yeah anthony i think this episode is going to raise some real awareness yeah and I, I i think that one of the reasons designing women was you know so inflammatory to the fragile masculinity of america is that it, it really depicted a nightmare for so many men white men where it's like <laughs> what will women do if they work well they'll hang out with a black guy all day yes and, uh, and talk about how we stink the yeah and it depicts the beauty of like you know, depicting some somebody's nightmare and how that's uh, what we need and what, <laughs> what a wonderful workplace. Exactly. Well, you were asking Sam if he had anything to say, Leslie. Yes. Do you have anything to say, Sam? Um, I, I am, I am. Uh, if you have to pick sides, I'm definitely a Julia in <laughs> in in every detail, except for <laughs> the two days a week when I'm Bernice. Yes. <laughs> And I think there should be more Bernices. Honestly, I love that show so much. <laughs> it's the best. I'm probably somewhere between a Charlene and a Mary Jo. Mm. I think. Do you, Leslie and Sam, have any comments? I I think that you are. I think you have your Julia moments. Then what's the funniest? That oh, you I don't, do. That you you're like because Lynn is so nice. You're smarter than Charlene. Although Charlene wasn't dumb. There was very quickly Charlene there was an episode dumb. where Charlene was. Uh, duped by this guy who was supposedly a talent agent that she gave a bunch of money to at the same time that her family was coming uh they were on the way to some bible conference or something and like her entire family of like 26 people like their kids and whatever came so at the same time anthony has been approached by the wife of an atlanta falcons star who wants to sleep with him and the atlanta falcons guy comes and says mm -hmm. no i'm not beating you up because I think you slept with my wife. You didn't sleep with my wife and we have our own thing. So you need to make her happy and sleep with her. He's like, no. So it's so weird. So he shows back up at the house. And so Charlene has just gone through the introduction of all of her brothers and sisters and their kids and so-and-so who's expecting so-and-so who's expecting whatever. So they've introduced Anthony to them. So the guy comes in to beat Anthony up and he says, you're interrupting my family reunion. And he says, the, this, my mama died when I was two years old in this kind family uh adopted me and he goes through all of the people because this is my brother so-and-so orvel and whatever and he goes through the whole thing and then stands there in front of them and i thought i wish that that would happen i wish that a bunch of like redneck dudes from missouri would support this black guy if only because they know that his their sister loves, loves him, him. Okay. um and i i watched that scene again wondering if it would feel inauthentic and it didn't because i feel like 
they, maybe they they could still be racist, but they would love him because they love their sister. Well, um, and and I think so much. Um, not that just if you have one black friend, it makes you not racist, but I, but and though I think that so much um, change in thinking happens when people actually do know each other, and I think that that is what the show in some ways says that these four people in some ways who don't have to be together except for the sisters, but are, are so different and raised different have different points of view, yes. but they know each other. And that makes the difference. Which is, if I can tie this back to Sarah before I ask her our final question, I feel that's, a, that's what your shows do, Sarah. I think that your shows, it's true that they meet people. They say, what's a, a movie that you love that's about like family or love or complicated feelings or what's a thing that you can talk about that you know that other people really need to know the truth about and you meet people mm -hmm. I listen to all of them I don't it doesn't matter if I've seen the movie if it's you're wrong about it, it doesn't matter if I know what the thing is I me mean, it's more interesting if it's something that I know but you your guests and the way that you talk to people you meet them at you take them at the word and you meet them where they are and it's just it's such a lovely quality to have so thank you so much uh for for that you brought more dignity to Bad Santa than Bad Santa has ever <laughs> had. The Bad Santa uh, episode was fantastic, and thank you. Yes, thank I have. Oh, you, you guys, you guys are amazing, and I'm so happy that you're, you know, you're making this home for the the things that people care about and the things that we can, you know. I feel better about humanity for having spent oh, this hour talking about designing gosh. women. That's you know? amazing. So at the end of this, we always ask, do you, after having discussed designing women for this long, do you still believe that it is a guilty pleasure or that it's cheesy? And if you do, do you care? Mm. Mm. It is cheesy. Um, I, I wouldn't call it a guilty pleasure for me. I think that, that the only guilty pleasure I have is like things that are bad for the environment. <laughs> You know, like the term guilty pleasure, we now like have so so much more grounds for guilt in our modern life. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's it is like a very cheesy show. And when I, as I was watching it and thinking about the question of like, you know, the ways that it's dated and the jokes that don't land anymore and, the, you know, the things that, you know, that are would be in the parlance of a younger person today, possibly a bit cringe. I don't know if anyone says that anymore. My but, son like, does. To me, it, Good. Thank God. And, and to me, like, it will always work because it is 100% sincere in my opinion. Mm -hmm. There's such a sincerity to it. And I think sincerity and cheesiness always, and I think sincerity and cheesiness often go hand in hand. Um, and that's, that's a good thing. That's so, yeah, it's, I love, I love the cheese. I love it. It's my favorite also, fruit. you should always have a sincere pumpkin patch. <laughs> Always in scissor pumpkin patch. Anyway, um, it's true. Um, I'm always going to drop another one in. So, Sarah, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on my two podcasts, You're Wrong About and You Are Good. They're both under the wise. You're Wrong About is about our misunderstand. You're Wrong About is about our inability to understand history at, at any time and about pop culture phenomena of the past and moral panics and blind women and all kinds of great stuff. And You Are Good, we've had uh, both of the fabulous Streeter sisters on talking about such films as Sister Act 2 yes. and Widows. <laughs> yes. And if you ever need us again, we will, because uh, we're begging, actually. I am. Lynn might not be, because I, I have no shame. So if you ever need yeah. another infusion of 
silly. I'm I'm in it, and I'll talk I about even something. made an infusion of silly stat. Yeah, I even the thought of days. like a sister movie or twin movie that I was going to pitch you, and now I can't remember what it was, but I will remember. You know, I want to talk. I want to blow this parent trap thing wide open. I want to blow it open. We are twins. And the fact that parents would say, you know what? We don't want to deal with each other. So we're each going to split a kid and uh, we'll never you see know, that other child. like a sandwich, right? You just you you know, take a They're interchangeable. And, and we will never see that other child again. We've agreed to never see our other child again or you or let these twins know that, that the other exists. Oh, it's the most terrible thing. Anyway, I'm not going to do that because that's another eight hour show and I want to do another episode. So anyway, um, thank you guys so much for listening. I, again, am Leslie, not Julia Sugar Baker, although I could be. Um, when you talk about the parent trap, you are. I really am. Ooh, child, Marjorie. Uh, thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much, uh, producer Sam. So much, Lenny Lynn. And uh, as we always say, keep it easy, keep it breezy, keep it cheesy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.